As many of my students know, uh, I went to England over the summer, uh, probably about five years ago now. And it was one of my favorite mission trips I ever went to. Uh, I did something called sports ministry, where we would uh, be playing games with some of the students that were there. We would meet up with elementary schoolers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, teach them uh, soccer, football, play frisbee with them all throughout the park. And it was a really fun time. Um, But uh, a lot of times churches take a one-week mission trip over somewhere uh, myself and three other interns were in charge of mission teams that came over. So each week I was in charge of figuring out what team was going to which park, what they were going to be doing and where they were going to go. Uh, and so at this park, we would play for about five days. And uh, as I said, we would teach them different sports. A lot of them had never played American football before. So we would play that. They would defeat us at soccer all the time because they were so good at it over there. But Uh, What made it sports ministry was that we would play sports with them, but then we would sit down with them and have a uh, story about the Bible. And we would normally pair it with someone that they would know, uh, talking about Winston Churchill. And of course, they would know who Winston Churchill was because he was a prime minister of England. But we would say, you know, uh, he did this, but there's also this person named Paul that is in the Bible. And he did something very similar. And we would try to match people up with someone that they would know and give them a Bible story. And I loved it because with uh, playing with sports, you just connect with people a lot easier. You build relationships with them. But on the second day, we did something special with the mission trip team. Uh, We would take them to a place called Roseberry Topping. And Roseberry Topping, it looks really deceiving. It looks like it's a big hill. But I always called it a little mountain. Uh, I'm not sure which one it was. But we would take our mission trip team up to the top. And it was actually fairly difficult. It was pretty much steps the entire way up. And I went up there every single time we had a mission trip team, which uh, ended up being 11 teams that came over. So I climbed up it 11 times throughout the summer. So I was pretty fit uh, that year doing sports and running around all the time. Uh, But what made it so special was that you could see the entire valley Uh, The place that we were at was called Tees Valley. It was in the northeast part of England, which is a very uh, country area. There were sheep everywhere. Uh, And so you could see all the different sections of the cities uh, that were there because of all the uh, farming communities in between. We had Gisborough. We had uh, Stockton. We had Thornaby, which I worked in a lot personally. Uh, There were places that you could pretty much see in all of our mission trips that all of our mission trip teams that came up there were able to see the city that they were working in. And it was amazing because we could see the entire area that we have been ministering to this entire time. And so I still remember seeing all of those cities up there. And every single time we went up there, our leader, uh, whose name was Mike Taylor, he's the one that founded UK USA Ministries, uh, which I was a part of. He would always read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10 to us. So I heard this sermon about 11 times while I was there. So it became very special to me. But starting in verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by a spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. 
I will cause breath to enter in you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I've been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared to them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breathe a breath from, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. And so I know that there was a lot there, but we're going to break it down uh, a little bit. And um, the first thing that I always notice here uh, was how he talked about uh, the bones. And of course, if you imagine Ezekiel in this vision, he's taken from where he was and he's placed in a valley full of bones. There's nothing but bones scattered all around him. Of course, that would be a little alarming, but I always thought it was weird of how he mentioned of how dry the bones were multiple times in this. And it took me a little bit of time to get really where this was coming from. Um, and I didn't really get it until I was in college. And I had, it, if you ever talk to my students, I talk about my college experience a lot. And I did not have good roommates whatsoever. My first year, I had uh, a person that was a chronic, I called them a... Uh, uh, a liar. They pretty much lied all the time. My second year, I had a schizophrenic roommate that he was actually diagnosed as a schizophrenic, and he wouldn't take his medicine, so that caused a lot of drama. But uh, what happened with this guy? My first roommate, he, he was a chronic li- liar. He lied all the time. He told us that he developed an app that all these Liberty students were using, and when we looked it up, he didn't make it up at all. He was never a part of it. He told us he was a star of the marching band, Uh, And he played in the percussion section, but he was not the star whatsoever. And I won't go over all of his lies, but one day I just said, you know what, I've had enough. Uh, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm going to call him out on his lie. And one day he came back from the weekend and he sets a deer skull on top of his desk. And he just kind of looks at me. And I say, okay, he's trying to bait me in and question him about it. But I'm a pretty curious person. So I said, all right, Sean, what do you got there? Why do you have a deer skull on your desk? And he says, oh, well, I actually, I shot this deer and my friend cleaned it up for me and he let me have it. And I said, oh, so you shot that deer over the weekend? And he said, yeah. I was like, Sean, I I don't hunt myself, but I have plenty of cousins who do hunt. And I know there's no way that that deer skull could be as dry as it is now uh, if you actually shot it over the weekend two days ago. And so he said, okay, okay. And he got frustrated because I called him in his lie. And he said that he shot a deer that was just like it. It had the same amount of points on it. But uh, his friend is cleaning it up for him, but told, his, uh, told Sean that he could show everyone this deer scold so that he could brag about how he shot a deer. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but you know what? Sean's a weird guy. So I was like, all right. And then I didn't really think about it anymore for about five more minutes. And then I realized my cousins were actually just talking about how they can't wait for deer season to happen in another month from now. And so I was like, wait a second, deer season hasn't happened yet. And so I said, Sean, did you shoot a deer over the weekend? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I shot one. I shot one just like this one. I said, okay, so either you shot a deer illegally or you're making this all up. 
Because I said, deer season isn't in right now. And you could go to jail for that. And honestly, I wasn't sure about that, but I just wanted to scare him. And he came out and said, okay, okay, I didn't shoot a deer. I saw one just like it. And I had a gun, but my friend told me I couldn't shoot it. And I said, you know what, that could be a lie, but I'm dropping it at this point. But the whole point of that is to show that it takes a long time for bones to become dry, to become completely dry. And I know that there's some people that they dedicate their whole lives to uh, being a taxidermist and doing all that stuff. But it takes quite a bit of time, especially if it's just exposed to the elements. Uh, It takes a little bit of time for it to be that dry. And so these bones that are all around Ezekiel are completely dry. He mentions it several times, and what they're supposed to represent is the Israelites. If you read a little bit further, I didn't want to read the whole chapter for y'all, but if you read a little bit further, you figure out that the, these bones represent the Israelites. It represents the Israelites' hopes, the Israelites' spirituality, um, and how they feel because they are in exile, because, and they feel as though God had abandoned them. And if you remember, they ended up in this place because they didn't do what God said. They started uh, having greed and they started worshiping other gods. They weren't following anything that God told them to do. And if you remember the last time I preached, I think it was two weeks ago now, uh, when I went through Habakkuk, uh, the Babylonians were about to come in and Habakkuk was kind of freaking out. He was upset that God would use another nation that was even worse than them to do what God wanted them to do. Well, that had happened now. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed Israel, they went through, took everyone captive, brought them back, destroyed the temple, set all the buildings on fire. And now the Israelites are in this captivity and they feel like God had abandoned them. And they felt like they didn't have any hope left. They felt like God had just cast them aside and that there was nothing left. And they had been in captivity for a while. So they felt like there was nothing left for them. They felt like they were dry bones, just left out, exposed to the elements, and uh, were just there because God had abandoned them. But now, verses 7 and 8, or before I get there, uh, we have to remember in Habakkuk of how God said that he would come back for his people, that he would bring hope to them, that he would destroy all evil. And God had a plan to bring the Babylonians to justice and to free his people. And now verses 7 and 8, they get pretty detailed uh, of all the bones connecting, of all the tendons forming together, of all the muscles coming and the skin coming over. And to me, that sounds like a horror movie. Honestly, I'm not in the medical scene and I don't want to be. That kind of stuff freaks me out. Um, The first time I ever went to sleep was when I got my tonsils taken out. I was really little and I thought I was going to die. When the doctor asked me, what your greatest concern is, I said, I'm scared I'm never going to wake up again. And the doctors just laugh because that's a surgery, or it's not even really considered a surgery there. You just get put in la-la land. But I was terrified of it because I didn't like the thought of uh, any of that. But uh, we see all these muscles and uh, these, these bones coming back together. But what we see is that they're just an empty husk. Uh, they don't come back to life until the breath which in Hebrew can translate to spirit, uh, breath and spirit are interchangeable in this, until the spirit comes inside of them. So only God can bring the nation of Israel back from the grave. Israel was completely destroyed and his people were scattered everywhere. Some ran to Egypt, other went to other nations around. Most of them are in captivity, but he gives the nation hope. And now imagine that you're back on Roseberry Topping, the mountain that I mentioned earlier. 
And as I said, this is Tees Valley, so we're surrounded by a big mountain range. And you have all of these cities that are scattered throughout it. You have the uh, North Sea uh, that you can look at. And what our leader said was, look out and see dry bones everywhere. Imagine this entire valley scattered with dry bones. And he said this thing that was very shocking, but after doing some research, I found out that it was true. He said, in that area, only 3% are professing, professing Christians. Only 3% are actually, act, actively involved in a church. And I was completely shocked. I thought he was just making that up because uh, he wanted to get us motivated, uh, especially because this nation was once a pillar for Christianity. England was at the forefront of evangelizing and uh, bringing missionaries to other countries. But that has long been dried up. Uh, churches have been closing every day, uh, more and more closed each day, uh, because no one is sharing the gospel over there. And churches are going for sale. Uh, they're being turned into malls. They're being turned into bars. They're being turned into houses, whatever the buyer wants. They can turn these really beautiful stone old churches into whatever they want it to be. And it's very sad. And I actually met several people over there that had never even heard of Jesus before because their parents never went to church. And the church in that area shut down and got turned into a daycare or a school. And so no one was able to share the message with them. But what I loved about this message, this Ezekiel 37, uh, and why it became so personal was because it gave us a visual of the nation. It gave us a visual of the area that we were specifically ministering to. We were able to visualize the valley full of dry bones of people that were lost that needed Jesus. And it motivated us and the mission team to do the best that they could in the area that we were working in. And so we, when, we were, uh, when we were sharing the gospel and someone didn't want it, uh, didn't want to hear it, we wouldn't be discouraged. We would pray for that person and ask for another encounter with them to build a relationship with them and continue talking. Uh, and we would just be praying for a revival of that area. And I'll tell you one of the toughest times that I had was um, how it was set up was that UK USA Ministries normally has people called a gap year worker, which they spend a year of, uh, they spend a year in England in a specific city uh, ministering to people, a part of one church, bringing people into that church, building relationships. And then we go in and that person tells everyone, hey, there's a meeting at the park. We're having a uh, camp, a sports camp over the weekend. Uh, we would love for you all to go. And so normally a lot of people were very receptive of that. But this time we just went in uh, completely blind. We went into a city uh, the guy said we haven't been able to make contact with anyone there because the church had been shut down for 50 years there. There had been no one there sharing the gospel. And we could easily tell because when we first got there, we went to the park and we formed a prayer circle and prayed over the park. And while we were doing that, there were some students that were making fun of us. Uh, they were yelling harsh things at us. One guy even threw a Slurpee at one of the girls that were there. But we continued to minister to the area and have conversations with those students. And towards the end, we saw a really amazing shift. It went from uh, hostility and taunting of us to kind of curious and somewhat receptive. And I would have loved if it went from hatred to love of God, but sometimes it takes time. And one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments was pretty much, I called him the ringleader of all these kids that were making fun of us. 
uh, he came up to me and he said, Jeremy, I got a tough question for you. I got a trick question for you. And I told him, I said, man, I, I'm, I'm probably, if it's a trick question, I might not know the answer, but give it to me. I'll try my best. And he said, okay, if we're all God's children and Jesus is the son of God, what makes Jesus so special if we're all God's children? And I was like, that's an easy one, man. I got this. And I was able to talk to him about it. I was really happy that he was even thinking in that direction because it was something that his parents had never talked about before. And so it was awesome. And eventually uh, I met someone at Liberty University that actually worked in that area that we started at. And they said that they saw some fruit. A lot of students started a Bible study there. And it was amazing seeing all of these Uh, All of this fruit coming from this labor that we were doing, and we honestly didn't think that we were getting anywhere with those students. But so, excuse me, uh, we we prayed for the Valley of Dry Bones uh, to be brought back to life through the spirit of this. We we kept Ezekiel 37 in our minds this entire time uh, because that had been uh, our leaders, Mike Taylor's dream for the past 10 years. Uh, He told us that for a whole year, every single week, he went up to Roseberry Topping and prayed over all of Tees Valley, just praying for a revival to happen because he just felt the need and he saw the need of this area. And so he started UKUSA Ministries uh, and was actively ministering to as many places as he could. And luckily, he's been able to see the fruit from all this hard work. He's been able to minister to all of these cities in the Tees Valley area. He's been able to get in the school systems. And a lot of school systems have actually started uh, mandatory religion learning, where for two weeks, he was able to come in and teach about Christianity to students inside of the school. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be a part of that. It was one of my best summers ever, and I would love to take the students there. That would be a dream of mine to be able to do that. But what I want us to remember is that there are dry bones here as well. There are dry bones in America. There's dry bones in Georgia, in Upson County, in Lamar County. And one of the greatest failures of the American church, in my opinion, is our failure to evangelize to the people right next to us, to evangelize to our neighbor and tell them the gospel. Because in America, we've fallen into this trap of you keep to your business and I'll keep to my business and everything will be fine. But Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all of the nation. And that doesn't mean just uh, telling them about Jesus and leaving them there. It's forming a relationship with them and walking them from uh, non-believing to curiosity to believing to future discipling and maturing of their faith. And we see that that's what Jesus did all the time. Jesus would sometimes share the gospel with random people, but he would connect with them uh, in a way that we couldn't connect with them. But other times he would go to their house, he would eat with them and start forming a relationship that way. And that's why I love the sports ministry aspect, because we were able to spend so much time with them. They were a little more receptive to us than if we just walked up to them during the middle in the middle of the street. And so the people that you are closest with are the ones that need to hear about the hope that is in Jesus. Dry bones come alive only through Jesus, and we are called to share that message to the whole world, including our neighbor. And one of my favorite quotes uh, about missions, I love missions. Uh, I love everything about it. I love going overseas. I love going next door. Um, But one of my favorite quotes that my student pastor told me, he probably got it from somewhere else, but 
He said, you don't need to be going around the world telling someone about Jesus if you can't tell your neighbor next door about Jesus. And it really stuck with me because a lot of times I feel like we focus on uh, sharing the gospel is only for mission trips when you go overseas. But really, you're supposed to be doing it throughout your daily life. You're supposed to be living it all the time. You're supposed to be living missionally, sharing God's message to everyone around you. And that's something that I think that we need to be constantly reminded of. And what I love about Ezekiel 37 is just showing the dry bones all around us, that there are people all around us that need that hope, that need to hear about Jesus and what he's going to do when he comes back to uh, vanquish evil forever and how he has a plan for each and every one of us. And so that was my message today. Uh, I hope that you guys were able to take away from it. I'm going to pray and then uh, Brother Corey is going to come up here and lead us in a song. Let us pray. God, we are just so thankful that we can just be relying on you. And God, I just pray that we will just uh, be burdened to share the message that you have given us. You have called us to be uh, to evangelize, to bring your message around the nation. And God, I just pray that we will start with the people that are closest to us, the people that we are closer to, that we can just uh, have that relationship already built up and that they will be receptive of the message, but that you will give us boldness to share that message with the world. God, I just pray that we can just be trusting in you, that we can be placing our faith in you, that we will just be giving you all the glory and all the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.